Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Follow Me, we will be looking at what it means to be a disciple. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. You may notice too that the scripture text that we are be looking at today is a text that we talked about last week text from Philippians 3. If you remember last week we said that we discovered that God's plan for our spiritual growth, God's plan for our development in Christ, our maturity in Christ is to place us in a community of faith. We call that community of faith the church where we form friendships, we form relational bonds with others in our family of faith and they help us grow in Christ. They model for us They nurture us, they protect us, they feed us, they work with the Spirit of God in training us up to be mature believers in Christ. God's plan for your spiritual development is for you to be placed in a family of faith where you can be nurtured up in that faith, equipped in that faith, so that you then can do the same, being a mature believer, being part of the family of faith, helping younger members of the family of faith grow up in that. So we looked at Philippians' third chapter, and if I remember right, I think I told you that Philippians, if you remember, is a thank you note, thank you note written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a town called Philippi. The reason why he's writing this thank you note is because the folks there have discovered that Paul is in prison. He's been in prison because he's preaching about Jesus. They hear about him, they're concerned about him, they send one of their guys to see him. In prison, and they bring, he brings material goods, he brings money that will take care of him while he's in prison. And so Paul writes a note and he sends this note back with the guy that they sent to the church. Thank you for your support. God bless you. Philippians also contains an update on his condition because that's why they sent him. And so he wants to write in person, hey, I want you to know what's going on with me and, and, and let you know what's happening in my life. And he takes an opportunity to, up, to deal with some issues. He finds out, no doubt, from the report of this guy about stuff that's happening in the church. And so Paul addresses some problems that were occurring. One of the problems was a warning to, on how to deal with individuals who were coming into the church and teaching a message that was not the message that Paul taught them. These were Christian Jews who had a certain theological bent, which said, "You, if you are not a Jew, if you are a Gentile, in order to be made right with God properly, you need to first become a Jew. In other words, you have to submit yourself to Jewish custom and practices. I mean, we're talking eating kosher, We're talking following all the festivals. We're talking circumcision. Yikes. Um, And so Paul writes this letter to deal with this. And so chapter 3 is his addressing this issue. And at the end of the chapter, verse 17 is where we need to focus. This is what he says. If you would give your attention to your bulletins, you can follow up on the screen. Here it is. Join together, he says, in following my example, brothers and sisters. I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Now, I want you to make a note if you have your pens and paper, whatever you want to do. If you want a note or just mentally take a note that our key verse in this entire passage of Scripture, our key verse is verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. But in order to unpack the significance of this statement, what we're going to do is we're going to go to verse 21 and move backwards if you'd like. We're going to investigate Paul's rationale, his argument for saying this, so that it will provide us a richness to understand what he really means, how he really wants to go deep with this statement found in verse 17. And so the first things he says, he says, hey, listen, I want you, going backwards, we notice the first thing he says is, I I want you to follow my example and the example of those who live by the things that we have taught. I want you to set your eyes on them first and foremost because I want you to remember that you do not belong in this world. He says to them, you are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. You do not belong to this world. And so if we want to make this personal, we can write this out. He says, what he said to the Philippians is true for me today. Uh, I do not belong to this world. As a Jesus follower, I do not belong to this world. I am a citizen of heaven. Now, citizenship was a big deal to the Philippians in particular. Roman citizenship was a very big deal to the Philippians. The reason was is that because Philippi was a Roman colony. It was like a mini Rome in a foreign land. It was settled by vets, by veterans, Roman veterans who had served in the army of Rome and had had gained their identity in, in, in ensuring the pride of Rome and the greatness of Rome. And so Philippi, in effect, was a mini Rome. I, I think about like having a whole city kind of being like an American embassy. And so the people of Philippi took citizenship seriously. And being a Roman citizen really was important in those days because a Roman citizen was able to receive privilege and protections that non-citizens didn't get. Privilege and protection that we find Paul in his story in the book of Acts, uh, he was a Roman citizen, taking advantage of at various times. But being a citizen of Rome meant privilege and protection that related to that citizenship. And Paul says, you know that emotion that you feel, that pride that you feel, that, that, that patriotism that you feel, that, that wanting to stand up and put your hand on your heart that you feel regarding citizenship? Well, flip that around and make that connection now because you as a Christian are a citizen of heaven. You as a community of faith are a colony of heaven. You're a little bit of heaven 
in a foreign land. And there are protections and privileges that come with being a citizen of heaven. It means that you are very different to those who are not citizens. You have things that they don't have, and you have protections that they don't have, and privileges that they don't have. You have an identity that's different than the non-citizen. So remember the fact, he says, that you are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, you don't live, you don't operate, you don't think, you don't have the values of those who are non-citizens. But because you're different, you need to be aware that you're going to face opposition. Because you're different, he says, because you're citizens of heaven, be aware that there are going to be people, influences, individuals who are going to come into your world who will seek to lead you astray, who will seek to take you out of the practices of a citizen of heaven and want to make you live like one of the natives. And so he says, be aware of the fact that you have to know that there are those that will lead you astray. Again, to make this personalized, let's look it up. I have to be aware that there are those who would lead me astray. Now, for the Philippian Christians, it was obvious. It was these individuals who were teaching that you have to be a Jew first before you become a Christian. These false teachers, these individuals whom he's very blatantly uh, against and very candidly describes and says their motivation is not from, from heaven, but their motivation is from their stomach. That's who their God is. They're not about the things of God. They're the things of this world. They're not about being citizens of heaven, but they're more about being citizens of this world and the falsies of this world. For us, those who would lead us astray, we could say, well, there's the thoughts of the world, the local gurus that we look to, the trends and, and, and ideas and philosophies and thinkings and, and temptations that we find in this world, the things that, that, that go contrary to the Word of God, those are the things that we constantly have to be aware of are trying to capture our attention and move us away from our identity and lead us astray. Preacher named Matt Woodley tells of a time in which his son at the time was 18 years old, liked to participate in the X-Ball paint gun war competition. Teams of five, each with these high-tech paint gun, paintball guns, right? They could shoot like 13 paint gun shots a, a second. I mean, we're talking brrr, a lot of fun. Five guys against five guys in this place where there was a bunch of stuff where you can hide under and, and run around. And the goal is to sh kill the other team, that is shoot them with a paint gun, not really kill them. The goal is to shoot them with a paint gun, right? And then to capture their flag. That's the name of the game. And so they have these folks that stand around and they watch them in this arena continue to play this game. And the way it works is that you try to kill them as they're ducking and diving and hiding. It's, it's, it's chaos. There's, there's paint gun balls flying all over the place and people are diving behind obstacles and, and, and trenches and, and all sorts of things. And there's chaos going on. And then you have your coach who's helping you, he sees the, the lay of the land, he sees what's happening out, and he's calling to you, and he's shouting to you instructions. He's shouting to you, hey, there's a guy there, and you need to go here, and this is what needs to happen. He's your coach. 
But the way the game works, though, is as Matt was watching, as he was watching all this, he started to hear that the crowd who was supporting the opposition also were shouting. They were shouting false information. They were trying to trick his son's team. And, and of course, he's a dad, and he's starting to get ticked off by this. Hey, wait a minute, that's cheating. You're not supposed to do that. That's, that's being rude. After the game was done, Matt talked to his son about this, and, and his son said, Dad, that's just how it is. That's how you play the game. What they were doing is called counter-coaching. Counter-coaching. And so it forces us as a team to really focus on the voice of our coach and to tune out the counter-coaching so that we can operate as a unit in order to win the game. Dad, that's how it is. Well, in the text that we've just looked at in, in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, Paul is saying, hey, be aware there's going to be counter-coaching in this life called living for Jesus as a citizen of heaven. There's going to be counter-coaching. And this counter-coaching is going to come from the devil, you can say. It's going to come from the philosophies of the world. You can say it comes from the temptations. It's going to be coming even from our own uh, tendencies to rebel, our own hearts. But that's part of the game. That's part of the game. And in order to overcome the counter-coaching, what do we need to do? We need to hone in on the voice of Jesus. We need to focus on the voice of Jesus. We need to make sure we pay attention to the voice of Jesus who guides our steps and, 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 and directs our, our ways. We need to give ourselves to the Word of God because that's where the voice of Jesus can be found. The Word of God contained in the Scriptures. And so that's why we encourage you to devote yourself to the study, to the learning of Scripture so that you can then what? Learn the voice of Jesus so that then you can what? Live as a citizen of heaven. See, that's what Paul was saying. When he finally came to his verse 17, he said, listen, the way we learn the voice of Jesus, the, one of the main ways we learn the word of God and able to live it out is this, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I learned to live as a citizen of heaven in the community of faith, the family of faith, by giving myself to watching others Live scripture out in life. I watch others who model what it means to hear the word of Jesus and to live it out. And that process ultimately can be described in one simple word. Coaching. And coaching is a very significant thing for me. It's been part of my life for a while. But it's coaching. Atwell Gawande, now with a name like that, you know I'm not making this up, right? Atwell Gawande is a well-respected author, Harvard surgeon. He'd been practicing his uh, surgery. He'd been practicing the surgery. He'd been doing surgery for like eight years and discovered that he kind of had reached a plateau in his abilities. He'd come, come to a point where he was getting 
uh, stale or wasn't progressing as he thought he would. Troubled by this observation, not knowing what to do about it, he was out on a medical research thing. He was out at a convention of some type, and he had a free time at this time, still struggling with this question of becoming stale as a surgeon. And so he had a free afternoon at this one event, and so he said, you know what, I'm a tennis player. I think I need to go and play some tennis. So he tried to set up a time where he would play tennis with someone. He couldn't find anyone. Eventually found a tennis club, and at the tennis club they said, yeah, sure, we'll let you, we'll let you play, but you've got to you got to work with our pro. The way it is is that you pay for working with our pro for an hour, and that's how you can play. So that's what he did. He set up an appointment with the club pro, and then he went out to the courts, and in came this young guy in his 20s, just recently graduated from college, had been a college uh, tennis player, and so they started to practice and work and went on some ground strokes. And of course, the young guy took it easy on the dock. You know how it is. And then he started making him work, running around, bouncing him around. And then they started playing. The dock started to practice some of his serves. And as he's doing his serve, the young pro said to him, hey, by the way, uh, you know, I can help you out with your serve. You can pick up quite a a little bit of mile on your serve there a little bit. Uh, if I see something. Of course, the doc at first was a little uh, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The serve is what I do, right? The serve is my thing. But he calmed down and he listened to the young man. He said, you know, I noticed that you're, when you're serving, your feet are not under you properly all the way. And sure enough, doc realized that as he threw up the ball, his right leg was, was a little behind and so he was a little off balance, and so his serve wasn't as efficient and powerful as it could be. And so with the observation, with the, the coaching, very quickly he was able to add five, six, seven, eight, nine miles an hour to his serve. Later that day, the doc was watching tennis on TV, Rafael Nadell. In the showing of the game, the camera switched over to show Rafa's coach, and it dawned on the dock, wait a minute, every elite player has a coach. Every elite player has a coach. Because the nature of coaching is this, we get to a point when we first start out where our talent can take us so far, but then in order to maintain excellence, in order to, to grow, we need someone who will come alongside us and help us move to the next level, help us grow. And it dawned on the dock, wait a minute. I was okay sort of to pay for a coach to help me with my tennis strokes. How is it that I've been so resistant to the notion of having someone come into my surgery and help me coach be coach me up in being a better surgeon. We need coaches. If we're going to grow and if we're going to be the best of, we need coaches. Paul says, look to me. Let me show you. Let me coach you. As I follow Jesus, you can follow me in this. 
and look to others who are living and learning Scripture so that you too might learn to live and learn Scripture. Because that's what's coaching. And that's what I put down on your bulletin. You can fill this out. Listen, every one of us, every one of us who are Jesus followers needs to understand that I must learn and live Scripture, being a citizen of heaven, being able to resist the voices of counter-coaching in my life. I must learn to live and learn and live Scripture by being coached by being coached by those who are learning and living Scripture. Does that make sense? Remember how I said it. We need folks to hear the, the voice of Jesus. The way we learn the voice of Jesus is by learning and living Scripture. Some things are caught and some things are taught, but then some things are caught and taught. This way in which we follow Christ is both taught and caught. We have to learn and we have to live. The Word of God is living and active. How does that happen? Well, it's living and active because it comes from the living God given to a person who writes it down in, in a book that those words, those, those instructions do not come back to life until they come back into a person who's living out with God. The Word of God comes alive when we live it. How we learn to live it is by giving ourselves, submitting ourselves to being coached by those who are learning and living Scripture. That's the plan A for your spiritual development. And so the question then should be this for us. A, do I have someone who I can look to to be a coach? Someone who I can say, I follow them as they follow Jesus. Someone who can model for me what it means to learn and live Scripture. That is a matter of prayer. That was the subject of last week's sermon. But on the flip side, we also need to take inventory of ourselves and ask ourselves, am I open to being coached? I told one of my girls while ago she was talking about wanting to get married and finding the right kind of guy and I'm like well honey if you want to go fishing you have to have the right kind of bait I said you be the right kind of bait you know stop worrying about him and start looking about yourself and you be the right kind of bait you be the right kind of person that would attract the kind of person that would be attracted to you the bait that you would like to be kind of a husband are you following me with that crazy analogy right <laughs> Well, on the flip side, if we want coaches in our lives, we have to understand that we have to be open and coachable. We have to be open to be coached. We have to be open to God, and we have to be open to others. Coachability is the number one factor that can be seen on any great athlete. Do you know that? Any great athlete. Came across a story, and this fits in with where I live. A man named Tony Lucidello. Tony Lucidello apparently is the guru of baseball scouts. Tony Lucidello is an absolutely phenomenal scout. Apparently, he's, he has signed 52 young men who have gone on to, two are Hall of Famers, 52 young men who have gone on to play Major League Baseball. His territory isn't the haven or hotbed of baseball players either. I mean, it's Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. Right? We're not talking Texas, Florida, and California where most of the talent is simply because they can play all year. No, Tony Lucidello is unbelievably successful at selecting individuals who then go on to become Major League Baseball players. 
investigating why this happens, uh, individual uh, started to follow on, wrote a book, and uh, his research discovered that, hey, Tony doesn't do things that normal other scouts do. He doesn't rely on the stopwatch and the, and the radar gun so much. In fact, you probably won't find him behind the home plate where most scouts sit. You find him on the edges. You find him on the edges listening and observing and watching other things. According to this book, there, there, there are different kinds of scouts. First of all, 5% of scouts are negative scouts. They're just bad scouts because they don't prepare. Then there's another, another 5% of scouts that are, are just out to find problems, right? That's all they do is they list the things that are wrong with a the player. Then there's like 85% of scouts that just measure on the things that are measurable, you know, how fast they throw and, and how well they do according to uh, their measurings and all that stuff when they play similar competition. And then there's that unique 5%, it's called a projector scout. And that's Tony Luciano. He's a projector scout. He's able to look at a player and see beyond what is into what is into the future. He's able to see that this player, though he may look like this now, I believe what I see within him has the tools to become something special at the next level. He's a projector scout. And do you know what the number one characteristic for a person that Tony Luciano selects, you know what the number one characteristic is? Coachability. Coachability. Is this player coachable? In searching for definitions for coachability, I came across a number of things. I came across this list. Listen to this. These are 11 signs of not being coachable. We're going to go with the negative. Listen to this. 11 signs of not being coachable. Let's take this as an inventory for ourselves. Number one, always thinking you're right. Arrogance. Number two, not willing to learn new things. Closed-minded. Number three, not open to change. Being inflexible. Number four, negativity. Number five, negativity's cousin, pessimism. Number six, eye-rolling during constructive criticism. Number seven, inability to self-reflect. Number eight, don't care about improving your life or relationships. Number nine, disrespectful of others and or their opinions. Number 10, generally unwilling to learn, grow, or do what it takes to improve. Number 11, putting other people down. On the flip side, 11 signs of being coachable. One, humility. Two, openness. Three, flexibility. Four, being positive. That is, you're inclined to say yes more than you are inclined to say no. Number five, optimistic. Number six, receptive. Number seven, reflective. That is self-aware. Number eight, committed to growth. Number nine, well-mannered and courteous, respectful. Number 10, willingness to try something new or challenging. Number 11, being honorable to others. Now, I read through that list, and my mind immediately, I'm reminded of texts of Scripture that describe characteristics of Christians, ideals that are laid out for us as believers to follow. Listen to this, and tell me if you don't hear the echoes of this list of being coachable or not on, on non uncoachability, if you don't hear the same traits and trends and attitudes. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, right? Citizens of heaven, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If you are a Jesus follower... You don't belong to this world. You're a citizen of heaven. As a citizen of heaven, you will constantly deal with the struggle of people, of ideas, of trends, of resistance, of opposition. You will constantly deal with those who would lead you astray, who will take you out of your citizenship who will pull you out of the thing that you were born into in Christ. But in order to deal with that counter-coaching, learn to learn, hear the voice of Jesus. Learn to live by Scripture. Taking it in and living it out. And the means by which that can happen is for you to be involved and connected by relationship and love in a community of faith called the church, a family of faith, where you'll be coached. And be responsible for your attitude when it comes to being coached. Be coachable. Be coachable. Be open to the leadership of Jesus, the head coach. And be aware that he has assistant coaches whom he has assigned to you to help you learn and live scripture so that you too may grow up in Christ and do what? Start coaching others. Because every one of us is here for a reason. To spur, as the Hebrew writer says, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Are you coachable? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word, and I pray that uh, you help us to be coachable. I think it's a good philosophy of life in general. To think that we've arrived, to think we've learned everything, to think that we have kind of got to the place where we need to be, and that's okay, and we can cruise on into the sunset, enjoying our retirement and our eternity, won by Jesus, is not according to Scripture. Lord, it's really distressing many times to deal with with uncoachability. People that are arrogant, think they know the answers, not open, not flexible, not humble, not willing to grow, not willing to go beyond what is comfortable in their life for the sake of, of the message of, of Jesus. And I pray that you would help all of us to understand that that's what we're called to do. If we're to grow in Christ, we need to be coachable. And I pray that you would help us with that that you would guide us in that, that we would first and foremost submit ourselves to you and then submit to ourselves to those whom you have assigned 
to lead us as they follow you. Help us to find people that, that can model for us learning and living scripture. Help us not to isolate ourselves. Help us not to think that, that this faith journey is a matter of, of just coming and receiving knowledge that we then know about and then go home and do whatever. No, it's about learning and living scripture. The word comes alive as we are obedient to it, living it out day to day. Lord, provide us coaches and help us be coaches in this church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.